chapter 46 and we will start there uh, just to get a little bit of a running start here the, the prophet Isaiah uh, is really predicting the uh, exile of Israel into Babylon so he's predicting the Babylonian captivity he's also predicting the return of Israel from Babylon uh, through the person of Cyrus who gives the word go back and so forth and it begins. So this is all amazing. So this is kind of the context here uh, in chapter 46 in that Isaiah is still, uh, well, he's still sort of talking about Babylon. So uh, we get, you know, it, the prediction that Israel's going into captivity, into Babylon, uh, and he's still ta he's talking about Babylon. The... Uh, the, uh, I don't know, the madness of imitating Babylon. <laughs> and I'm talking to myself also. <laughs> okay. So, chapter 46, verse 1. Bell bows down, Nebo stoops, their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop. They bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. So verses 1 and 2, these two here, Bel and Nebo, seem to be the chief gods in Babylon. Uh, Bel, which in my mind sounds pretty similar to Baal, B-A-A-L, they've got to be similar or the same with different names or pronunciations possibly. Bel or Baal, B-A-A-L, means Lord. Lord, yeah. So this was one of those idol gods, uh, so he's Lord. You know, in Hosea, the prophet says there's going to come a day uh, when the wives will no longer call the husbands Bali, but they'll call him Ishi. So the Hebrew wives... Ba Baal, B-A-A-L, was so influential in Hebrew culture up in Israel that they had adopted some of uh, Babylonian speech. So the wives were calling their husband Baal, or Bali, which means my Lord. Maybe they were, maybe they were trying to imitate Sarah to call her husband Lord, but... Uh, I've actually never heard a wife call her husband Lord, but uh, anyway, that's a... Wait a minute. Oh, did you call me Lord? Wow. He didn't mean sarcastic. You must, you must be the best wife in Jackson. I've heard a husband saying that their, their wives uh, adore them because they, they offer to them burnt offerings at each meal. Well, I don't say that. I don't say that. Uh, okay, so they, so this Baal uh, is also a god in, in Babylon, and Nebo is a god in Babylon. Nebo was the son of Marduk. Well, we've, we've heard that name before also. Uh, Nebo was, became the god of scribes and intellectuals in Babylon. Uh, 
uh, evidently he was a very important god given the na evidence of these Babylonian names like Nebuchadnezzar and Nabopolassar and all these. They start with Nebo. So he was a very popular god. Okay. Uh, well, what's happening here? Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry and are born as burdens by weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down. They cannot save the burden but themselves go into captivity. So these images of Bel and Nebo were paraded around in an annual New Year's festival in Babylon. So this was their big New Year's celebration and they would uh, parade the gods around. And you hear the mocking tone of Isaiah when he talks about these idol gods, he begins to mock them and be sarcastic, you know. And verse 2, they stoop, they bow down together, they cannot save their burden. And the animals are carrying these idols around, but sometimes the idol shifts and the animal tries to ride it and so forth, and they're trying to, trying to keep going with those burdens on their back. All right, <clears throat> verse, uh, yeah, verse 2, so these great gods are now tottering off on the backs of animals. I mean, this is all sarcasm on, on Isaiah's part. Verse, verses 3 and 4. On the contrary, listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth and carried from the womb. In other words, these animals are carrying these false gods off on their back. But hey, Jacob, guess what? I, Yahweh, have been carrying you. <laughs> you don't even know it. But I've been carrying you. Who wants to worship a God that you have to load up on the back of a box? That's what Isaiah is saying. That's what he's talking about. Verse 4, Even to your old age I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and I will save. So I'm looking forward for the Lord continuing to carry me. You know? I'm not as young as I used to be. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So it's a different view of God than man would have. You know, like you see all the time uh, they portray the, all through history, principally portraying God not as this selfless person, mm. but as this all-powerful. Right. You know, this sort of thing. But now he's carrying so us. You know, yeah. so, I mean, the, to me, it's one of them little flags that pops up mm -hmm. about the authenticity of the Bible. Beautiful. You know, <clears throat> uh, like that. And that it, you know, one of the other things, you know, it's like a woman could not testify in court in Jesus' time, but the first witness of the resurrection, Mary. There you Mary. go. Yeah. yeah. And so these little things are little flags. Often, authenticity. We should yeah. recognize yeah. Very good. Very good. <clears throat> All right, so God is carrying us. Verse 4, even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, I will carry and I will save. Praise the Lord. Verse 5, to whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me, that we may be alike? So again, Yahweh now, to which of the idol gods can we compare Yahweh? None of them. I mean, Yahweh is the creator of all things. So these idol gods have to be carried by animals. But Yahweh's carrying us, and he's also our creator. It's on and on we go. Verses 6 and 7. Those who lavish gold from the purse 
and weigh out silver in the scales, hire a goldsmith, and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders, they carry it, they set it in its place, and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Again, the derision of Isaiah against these makers of idols. In verse 6, he's calling out, I don't know, people uh, who basically are making idols out of gold. So he's saying on the one hand, we can carry gold in our pockets, but on the other hand, we can weigh it out to the goldsmith to make into an idol or to a god, and then they fall down and worship the money that they were carrying in their pocket, but now it's in the form of an idol. Which seems to me to anticipate our Lord's words in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. If someone would look at that, we'll read it. Matthew six twenty-four. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. The uh, word here in King James says you cannot serve God and mammon, uh, which is just an alliteration of an Aramaic word. It's mamonos. I learned this yesterday. I looked this up. See, we're always learning stuff, right? <laughs> so, well, I mean, I knew that word, but I didn't know all about it. So mamonos is really an Aramaic word meaning riches. Yes. And it's also akin to a Hebrew word, amen. You ever heard that word? Yes. yes. Amen. amen is a Hebrew word. It means amen, right? Or to be true or to be trusted. So the, the deception here is that we have a tendency to substitute something firm, something in which we can trust, money, in place of Yahweh. And that, that's, so that's what Jesus is saying. You, you, can't, you can't serve a false god and the true god at the same time. I mean, you, you can't do it. So that's... You cannot serve God in money from our Lord, okay? All right, so talk to me here. I've been doing all the talking. Connor. Um, do you all remember the vision that Nebuchadnezzar had where his feet are made of this lower mm-hmm. level reality, and then as it goes up the statue, the materials get purer and purer? Yes. And so when you get to Nebuchadnezzar's head, it's made of gold. Of gold, yes. Okay, that's what's happening here. Isaiah is systematically going through the levels of reality and saying, God's not here, he's not here, he's not here, and he's going further and further up. Beautiful. So first he was making fun of the wood idols. Ah, that's These true. are the silly lower level yeah. ones. Good. Then it's pretty easy to mock those. <coughs> you go up a little further, you get to the idols of iron. Yeah. Right? He made fun of those for a little while. Then he moves up. Idols now of we're, silver. Now we're more abstract. Now we're talking about money, yeah. which is just as much of an idol, but it's maybe a little more deceptive. It's easier to fall prey to that one, but it's still Baal, because yeah. Baal was the god of prosperity. He's at the top of the pantheon. So if you're worshiping money, you're worshiping Baal. It just so happens that there's a there's a statue of a bull in New York City as a god to our idol of prosperity. Yeah. <laughs> of course, maybe our government's helping us on this money thing. I mean, yeah. we don't carry gold around anymore. But we carry these paper notes, but fortunately, they're becoming worthless all the time. I mean, they're worth less and less. So. I mean, if we're, we're uh, depending on those, we, the government's helping us not to depend on that. 
Okay, they're inflating it away. But it does still say, in God we trust. <laughs> but it does right. That's what saves us right there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just put that phrase on there. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go to verse 8. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. So, verses 8 and 9 then, after our, now Isaiah is attacking the idols, and now back to the true God, and Yahweh is telling us these things. So, remember me, and so forth. Uh, I am God, there is no other. So, <clears throat> the uniqueness of God, uh, we could think about here. I mean, remember God. I mean, uh, He's unique. Uh, so, the eternality of God, I, I like to think about that. <clears throat> If I can, his creation is ex, ex nihilo, <clears throat> which means from nothing. <clears throat> so God creates by his spoken word. I mean, there's nothing and then there's something, right? I mean, because God creates it, right? Ex nihilo. We could think of the blood of his eternal covenant that we read about last week from Hebrews. Uh, we could think about the miraculous preservation of the human race. And on and on, his promises to Abraham, the existence of the nation of Israel, the coming of the Messiah. So all of these things, you know, God has decreed and accomplished all of these things. He's unique. Uh, all right, verse 10. Let's read that and then I'll, I'll, I'll ask you to talk if you like. Verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning, says Yahweh. And from ancient times, things that not yet done, <clears throat> saying my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. So the counsel of God stands <clears throat> from ancient times out into the future. Uh, if someone would uh, look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, and read that one for us. There's a comment here. God's counsel stands. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart. Yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. <laughs> so this is how God has made us. <clears throat> to speculate and to think about eternity. But yet... When you think about eternity, I mean, it's too far. It's either too far out or it's too far back. You know? <laughs> it's too far back. And, uh, you know, it's mind-boggling. But <clears throat> we have that. We have something inside of us that moves in that direction. So <clears throat> as we're doing evangelism anywhere, I mean, we always have something to work with. I mean, people are interested in eternity. So, God's made us this way. So, the older you get, the more you think about it. <laughs> okay. About yeah. All right. Um, okay, this is through verse 10. Does any, anybody have anything here, or shall we continue? Will you say again the verse that has eternity, you put eternity in my heart? Yes. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3 11. Yes. Uh -huh. Yes. 
I, you know, go back on verse 8, you know, remember, uh, fix it in your mind, take it to your heart. You know, uh, when Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body, you know, he's including those things. It's a house. Significantly, it is important it is for us to learn how to love God with our mind. You know, and, uh, I mean, it's one thing to love Him with your heart and your soul. I mean, that makes perfect sense. But to love Him with your mind, when your mind is goes in every direction possible, you know, so it's hard to focus that mm -hmm. back. Well, you know, yeah, very good. To surrender your mind to God is not easy. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, let's take a look at verse 11. In verse 11, then, it, it seems that this is back to Cyrus now. Remember how Isaiah has called out Cyrus a couple of chapters ago, even though Cyrus was not born yet. But this is about him. Calling a bird of prey from the east, that would be Persia. The man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. So again, he, this is Cyrus. It, these things are going to happen. All right. Okay, verse 12. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. I bring my righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off. And my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion. For Israel my glory. Uh, verse 12. Stubbornness of heart. Uh, stubbornness of heart. Therefore. Takes us far from righteousness. Uh, so let's look up a couple of passages here. If someone would get Matthew chapter 5 verse 3. And then someone in Proverbs. Chapter 16, verse 5, and verse 19. That's Proverbs 16, verse 5, and verse 19. And Matthew 5, 3. We're talking about stubbornness of heart. Yeah, the stubbornness of heart. Here. Yeah. Stubbornness of heart, yes. Uh, uh, listen to me, you stubborn of heart, is verse 12. So we're going to think about what that means. Stubborn of mind. Pardon me? Some, some translations say stubborn of mind. Okay. Uh, Matthew 5, 3, if somebody has that. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, so in contrast to the stubborn in, in heart, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, uh, could somebody comment on that a little bit? Nick, what are we talking about here about being poor in spirit? Uh, it, it really depends. Uh, <laughs> um, I do know, at least in this ancient philosophy, and Connor may be able to correct me if I'm wrong here, but this, this differentiating between mind, heart, and spirit really is not as clean, I think, as we do it ourselves. And, uh, yeah. This is, this is talking like a whole person. Mm -hmm. um, of course, poverty of spirit is also, I think, understanding your, to, to use the reformed phrase, your uh, complete depravity before well, God. So, um, if you understand your, poor, your poverty of spirit, yes. then you come before God and you're, you inherit the kingdom of heaven. But we don't, we don't have that much to brag about. <laughs> okay, there's some verses in Proverbs. If someone has that, it's Pro yeah, go ahead, Dave. Proverbs 16, 5. 16, 5? Yes. Okay. Yeah, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Wow. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Wow. You want to comment on that a little bit? <laughs> I know myself. <laughs> 
I know it's self-evident. They have a hardy spirit for destruction. So man, you gotta be careful. We do have to be careful. Because we can get in our own contention. I, yeah. I found myself being proud in my humility. Look how humble I am. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> of all these people, I am the most humble. <laughs> How about Proverbs sixteen nineteen? Similar. Well, how would we really apply that? I mean, divide the spoil with the proud. Taken away from the poor, yeah. Robbing the poor, like, you know, greed, and those things. We don't talk that way. There are people that are doing that every day. Wow. It could be, could be the Robin Hood principle. Yeah. Kind of so. Steal from the rich and give to the poor. <laughs> but yet, theft is not so good either. Yeah. Well, it's just taking, take Robin Hood was just taken back what they had already stolen from the poor. Uh, Proverbs, Proverbs was that? Uh, 16, 19. All of these seem to be uh, principally a picture of our dependency of, you know, on God. Good. I remember, you know, I mentioned that Acts verse all the time. He did this so that men would seek Him. Okay. In the hope they might grope through Him and find Him. Though He's not far from right. each one of us. So he's it's hard. like that prodigal father. Right. And when he sees that boy show up, yeah. he runs yeah. to it. falls on his neck. It's very sweet. So it's hard to seek for God if we're eating up with pride, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. In Hebrews, you know, <clears throat> faith is the substance of things hoped for. Yeah. What exactly are you hoping for? Mm. Hoping. And so we have to remember our question for God that He is God. So often we think we know better than God. <laughs> what we think God is saying is mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. wow. spoils. Yeah. spoils are usually uh, paired up with warfare. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the proudly self-sufficient or who will just take what they want mm -hmm. uh, is an abomination. Mm -hmm. wow. It can if be a take, title to be so If you take a look at all the Greek tragedies, <clears throat> pretty much around the same 100-year period or whatever it might be. The starring position in all of those tragedies is the effects of hubris. Yeah. And how important hubris is to you as a human being uh, just drives you to just destruction and everything around you. And so it's, 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 a teach, it's a teaching tool for the masses. That's why they... They, it, it, it was against the law not to go to the place. <laughs> you know, which, maybe we should change that here too. <laughs> it's kind of like their sermon. Yeah, they made, and if you didn't have the money, you get to go free. You know, so and so they they just made sure everybody went to see these plays because they were trying to show them this is what happens when you are when you let pride take over your life. Mm -hmm. This is this is this is this is what you can expect to happen. Wow. Okay. All right, uh, let's go to verse 13. I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off. Praise the Lord. 
and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. Righteousness is not far off. Uh, Romans 10, verse 6. Uh, I'll read it. This is 6 through 9. The apostle says, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. Of course, he's already resurrected from the dead. We don't have to bring him up. Uh, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now what do we say at Eucharist time here about people that we would welcome to participate in Lord's Supper? We say that if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you, you, we welcome you to participate. Well, this, this right here in Romans 10, 9, that's what we're saying. So what are we saying, really? We're saying that if you're saved, come. That's what we're saying. That's what we're saying. Why? Okay. Um, I don't think. I don't think we. Because that's our norm. I think we forget how radical that is. <laughs> okay. Talk to us. <laughs> well, my brother and I can't take Eucharist together. You mean at, his at where? His at his church. Right. Oh, I know. John, John Jones, my mentor, and I can't take Eucharist together. So this, this notion that all believers together can come to the table in this sort of radical, you know, equality under the umbrella of Christ. Right. I mean, that's, that's crazy talk. Well, call, yeah. it, call us part of the universal church. I mean, what, what can we do? <laughs> I just, I, I, maybe it's just me because I grew up here, but I, I, I don't think... I don't think I realize how amazing that... Well, that indeed. Is. I mean, indeed. And there are, I would say, quite, I don't know how many, but a number of Protestant churches who have what they call closed communion. Not only, you know, do you need to be a believer, but you've got to be a member of that church to participate, right? So you can be a believer uh, as much as you want, but you couldn't participate. wonder how come. Lord, Pardon me? wonder why. I, I don't I know the whole reason. Sure. I, don't, I don't know. No, it's not bad. I don't know. Some other reading of Scripture, I'm not sure. Do you, do you know about that? Yeah, my, so my father grew up primitive Baptist. Okay. Uh, primitive Baptists are... They're a little primitive, aren't they? They're, they're very, well, yeah, they are. <laughs> uh, they don't do evangelism. They don't do evangelism. They don't. Uh, they're very it's almost so Church of Christ in some ways. There's no music, but they're also very closed. Um in relation to how they welcome people in. Mm. Uh, my grandfather um, actually took Eucharist uh, here one time. Cool. It was our way. And he had to apologize to his elders for doing that. Uh, oh, they, they basically put him under church discipline for doing that. Um, really? Because they, they are that closed. Of a so they just consider us more or less to be pagans, uh, I guess, or yeah. something like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's okay. It's a badge of honor sometimes to be called a pagan by certain people. 
Doesn't it though? Doesn't it though? Where's the celebration? Yeah, where's the joy? I don't think it's of the truth. <coughs> I would speak against it. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, it's a misunderstanding of the word communion as well, too, because you know, it, it's you know, I, I realize there's a soberness to communion, obviously, but to think that that's all there is, it's it should be a joyous. It should be a celebration. It's a thanksgiving for what God has done. <laughs> we should examine ourselves, yes, to make sure that we're, you know, that, that we're able to take communion, but at the same time, it's not the rules that something Well, Katie and I have talked about this several times. I mean, not to get too wild on this topic here, but, you know, some churches we came out of, I mean, we're, we really like communion here, but some churches we came out of, it, it was so grim. I mean, it was so morose, and uh, the music was so horrible, and... Uh, and the sheet over all those elements looked like a dead guy laying up on the table up there, you know. And uh, everybody's in, in, mourn, in mourning and weeping and, oh, oh, you know. Well, they were trying to get you to be sure about your sin, right. I think, so that you would take it. I asked my brothers in Latin America, I say, why do you guys hate Lord's Supper so much? They say, we don't hate it. I say, well, why don't you ever have it? <laughs> I don't know. Once a year. <laughs> once a year. Maybe. We love it so much we avoid it. We avoid it, yes. Yeah, it's, it's too special, so we avoid it. Mm. We honor it so much. Yeah, we honor yeah, we it so don't. much that we never do it. That's right. Jesus is preparing a feast. We are all lowly and brothers. And we're all going to be welcome to the table. Well. And I'm sure that part of that feast is going to be taking communion. So no doubt. I think so. Well, they're bound to have bread and wine there. Okay. Well, let's go back to our text. Okay. Well, as Connor has said, these uh, these books, you know, didn't have chapter and verse numbers. They were put in later, so it's just one continuous scroll. So let's go on into verse uh, chapter 47 then. We've got some time left. Let's begin in chapter 47 uh, about Babylon. Isaiah's continuing point then, God is supreme and no nation can stand against him. Now, we have predicted the fall of Babylon. It is sure and it is going to happen. So we'll think about it a little more as the prophet uh, leads us here. Verse 47.1 Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For you shall no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind flour. Put off your veil. Strip off your robe. Uncover your legs. Pass through the rivers. Your nakedness shall be uncovered and your disgrace shall be seen. I will take vengeance and I will spare no one. Our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, is His name. Is the Holy One of Israel. So, Babylon then, and now this is... Now, Isaiah's prophesying way further out in the future, right? So uh, Babylon brings Israel into captivity and the exile, but then Babylon is overthrown by the Persians, wasn't it? Medes and Persians, right, correct? Yes. Babylon then is overthrown by the Medes and Persians, right. So now he's predicting this. And the Chaldeans, this, uh, well, uh, anyway, that would be Babylon. So in verse 1, Ba the prophet is now comparing Babylon to a well-brought-up 
young woman with luxurious tastes and unfortunately there's no more soft life for her things are going to get tough in verse 2 work at the millstones was considered the lowest form of slavery so in Babylon who had been used to living in finery and luxury no more fine clothes no more upper class life it's coming to an end verses 3 and 4 the Lord is not only our redeemer he is also a defender against enemies of all kinds um, verse 4 our redeemer says Israel the Lord of hosts is his name is the holy one of Israel so the Lord continues to work with his people Israel even in captivity and then he's bringing them back from captivity um, okay He's our defender against enemies of all kinds. We might think of cultural attack against Christ in our, say, our country. We might think of cultural attack against Christ. Well, I mean, it's going on. I mean, that's the, the, the life that we're living. But, um, but our God continues to defend us and make us stand. So I'm glad about that. Yeah. So we continue to go on. Connor. Uh, question on verse one: Do you is by calling her virgin daughter? Do you think he's being sarcastic, or do you think uh, he's being serious? Uh, well, I mean, uh, she shows yeah. up in Revelation, and she's definitely not a virgin. <laughs> <laughs> well, indeed, and John so, picks a lot of this up right. from this too. So uh, he, is I he, haven't is really mocking her, or is, are these two different characters? Yeah, I haven't really thought about that. I. Uh, I'm open to thinking about it. Uh, John, you know, picks up on this, as you say, and, and, and uses this in a kind of a mocking way. So I, I don't really know. Well, he's uh, quite sarcastic describing the gods. Right. Yeah. God is, he, un, he understands satire <laughs> better than any, any person on the earth, promise you. That's what I've discovered. Christians do not understand satire at all. <laughs> they think it's real. Mm -hmm. so, you know. yeah. And so does the world. And the Babylonian bee puts something out. And the it goes out as true. <laughs> that, they think it's true. <laughs> they don't see it as a joke. All right. Well, regardless of all these bad things that are happening and are going to happen to Babylon eventually in verse 4, the Redeemer of Israel is the Lord of hosts and he continues to redeem his people and protect them. All right, verse 5. Sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no more be called the mistress of kingdoms. I was angry with, with my people. I profaned my heritage. I gave them into your hand. You showed them no mercy. On the age you made your yoke exceedingly heavy. You said, I shall be mistress forever so that you did not lay these things to heart or remember therein. Um, verses 7, let's see, let's read, uh, let's read a few more. Uh, verse 8, Now therefore hear this, you lover of pleasures who sit securely, who say in your heart, this is Babylon now, I am and there is no one beside me. I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. These two things shall come to you in a moment, in one day, the loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure in spite of your many sorceries and the great power of your enchantments. 
So we're going to look at Revelation a little bit. The Apostle John picks up this theme then of Babylon uh, once more. So this is the fall of Babylon. The Apostle John also talks about Babylon, but it has more of a spiritual sense here. It's, it's the world system. It's, it's, the, it's the God of this world. It's uh, all of that, you know. John characterizes Babylon. So let's look at Revelation chapter 18, verses 7 through 8. He picks up this language, Revelation 18, 7 and 8. Yes. This is almost a quote here from these passages in Isaiah. It's talking about Babylon, but in this case, this would be spiritual Babylon, not, not just some country over there uh, uh, on the Persian Gulf or right, right in there. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen. Here it is. I am no widow, that's a quote from Isaiah, and mourning I shall never see. So, uh, verse 8, for this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. Well, he's picking up the language from Isaiah in which Babylon, Babylon says, I, I'm not going to be a widow, I'll never sit like a widow, I'll never see the loss of children, and so forth. Then he says, Isaiah says, these two things shall come to you in a moment and in a day, the loss of children and widowhood. And so John picks that up as, a, I would say, spiritual Babylon. I mean, it's the spirit of the age, you know. It's the kind of demonic thinking that rules our world. And uh, so John is, you know, prophesying against that. Yeah, you go back to verse 4, the Holy One of Israel the Holy One of God is the term that demons use for Christ. Say again, he's ter- yeah. It's the term that demons use for Christ in the Gospels. The Holy One of God? Yeah, yeah. yes. So it's very much demonic. Yes. Uh, verse 4. Uh, what is demonic exactly? In verse 4, it says, As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, is yes. his name, the Holy One of Israel. Yes. When, when demons are, are trying to identify Christ in the Gospels, okay. they use that term, yes. the Holy One of Israel, okay. yes, the yes. Holy One of God. Yes, yes. Okay. So, well, I mean, that's, that's a, so this is well known. This is well known by the demon world. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. If we could go back even further for just a second uh, to forty six eleven. I think the bird of prey from the east. Yes. Babylon there. Uh, because, I mean, bird of prey, that's, you know, that's a dangerous thing. Yeah. And it's coming in, and it's going to take over Israel. Yeah, I, and I may have been wrong in identifying that with with Cyrus there. Yes, you're, yes you're right. It's, it becomes, I don't remember, it, may, it becomes clearer either in Isaiah or possibly in Jeremiah, where God is saying, yes, Babylon, I'm using you to discipline my people, but your day is coming. Yes. Don't be proud. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Can I, can please. I speak into that? Yes, please go ahead. This stuff always has a negative aspect and a positive aspect. Okay. So the bird of prey has, and it, in one sense, it is the tyrant, Babylon or okay. Persia. These okay. are all various sides of the same thing. Okay. Uh, but there's a positive aspect of it too. The man of counsel coming from the east, 
that should bring the nativity of mind. As those men of counsel come from the east. The man of counsel coming from the east. Yeah. To the presence of God. Yes. Magi is a Persian word. Yeah. 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 Very good. It was. It was a. It was a Gentile version of the Levitical priesthood. Yeah. The Medes were set up by tribes the same way Israel was, but instead of twelve, there were six of them. Okay. And the priestly class were called the Magi. Very good. They were absorbed into Persia, and then they show up at the nativity. Beautiful. Okay. Very good. Well, let's see if if I have anything else. Uh, chapter forty-seven of Isaiah, which is where we are. Let's see if we're done for today. Uh, wait, chapter forty-seven. Also, yeah. While you're looking, at the, we have all these prophecies. Oftentimes, they're all double prophecies. You know, there's an early prophecy and there's a latter prophecy. And so we're talking about yeah. Babylon. It's a double prophecy. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, so let's, I'm going to conclude here. This is, uh, again, Isaiah chapter 47, verse 9. We read it. I'm going to read it once more. Of Babylon. These two things shall come to you in a moment, in one day, the loss of children and widowhood, because she said, I'll never be a widow. I'll never lose any children. God says, well, on the contrary. It's all going to happen in one day. Shall come upon you in full measure, in spite of your many sorceries and the great power of your enchantments. So as Craig now is saying, there's a demonic aspect in all of this with Babylon, you know, and all of this rulership that Babylon has and all that. So again, uh, John picks this up in Revelation chapter 18, verses 1 through 3. Uh, this is in time Babylon, as it were. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory, and he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen, this Babylon the great. Here we are. So she has become a dwelling place for demons, yes. A haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. So we see the world system in action. I mean, riches, okay. Uh, sexual immorality, okay. And on and on it goes. And then there's a demonic sort of aspect about it. Also, she has become a dwelling place for demons and so forth. But this is not a physical location. This is a spiritual principle behind the world system once we get to Revelation. So, again, John is using Isaiah's language to present a message to us. Sounds like modern-day America. <laughs> well, well, that's why we read the Bible. <laughs> okay, that friends, that, we're done early, but that's all I have. But if you like to talk, we'll do that. Go ahead, Jim. I got a question for what I remember reading in Revelation 19. The John said, I saw an angel standing in the sun and come out with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. And then he describes uh, the Lord destroying his enemies in the next few verses. Mm -hmm. And 
The very last verse says, And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which is Christ, if I'm understanding it right, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. The Lord was saying, the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the dead Christ. So there's got to be some meaning here of the fowls being used for good or either evil. It's a symbol of evil, of icon, as Connery's taught. So it could be both. Uh, I'll let somebody else maybe handle that. Go ahead, Craig. Well, God is glorified whether in judgment or in mercy. And, and I, I would put it together with the, the humiliation of, of this virgin daughter of Babylon. Okay. Now, there's no greater humiliation than taking a corpse to be eaten oh, by the beasts of the field. You know, wow. Isabel just said that yeah. a dog will lap up your blood. Oh, boy. And birds in general are unclean animals in, under Jewish law, okay. like, like dogs. So, it, I mean, that's, that's even worse. <laughs> this animal is not even uh, uh, ceremonial clean. Okay. Birds, especially birds of prey, tend to herald the start of something new. So, what does Noah do right after the flood? Sends out birds. Yeah. And so the birds arrive right before Jesus shows up. All right. Well, thank you for your attention. Uh, shake hands and hug next. We have about ten minutes.